Well, it's been a big week and a half for West Indies cricket. Johnny Grave is the CEO of West Indies Cricket, and he can join you on Summer Grandstand as we uh, look back at the events of the last week or so. Uh, Johnny, welcome. Thanks so much for your time. Um, tell us, what impact did uh, the West Indies' first test win in Australia since 1997 back ha- have back home as you join us from Antigua? Yeah, look, it's been uh, it's been surreal, really. I've never seen uh, a sort of a feeling like it across all the islands. It was uh, particularly last night when uh, Shamar Joseph got back to Guyana. The uh, president of the country had uh, brought his entire family down from his his village in Berbice, and um, yeah, there were there were tremendous scenes at the airport and uh, parties. I think it's probably still going on now uh, in Georgetown as uh, as they celebrate the the return of Shamar and. Um, yeah, the feel-good factor is certainly alive uh, across the, not just the entire Caribbean, but actually throughout the diaspora and to a certain extent, I think, um, reverberating around the world. He was a bit of a rock star by the time he left Australia. He was doing interviews left, right and centre, which isn't all that common for uh, opposition players in which to do. But how impressed were you with his ability to push through the pain with his toe and to take seven for 68? What did you know of his journey before he made his debut? I think I first uh, came across him probably in um, back end of March when he took five wickets in a first-class game for Guyana. Um, and we had a few people down uh, watching that game. And I think Jimmy Adams called me and said, you know, this this guy's, um, in Aussie terms, got proper wheels. And, um, you know, it, it was, I think at that point that we thought, um, you know, it'd be great to see how he progresses. He was a net bowler, as you probably read, for the Caribbean Premier League and then got a couple of, uh, late starts there once Romario Shepard um, got injured. Um, and then he went on the what what I believe was a really important A-team tour. Uh, we played some really good competitive four-day cricket against South Africa uh, at the back end of last year leading into the Australia tour. And, and again, he took five wickets there and impressed. And um, that was probably the first time he'd worked alongside Sean Tate and Andre Coley uh, and Jimmy Adams as a support group. And, and obviously they continued into Australia. And yeah, I mean... Dream start, getting uh, getting not just uh, a wicket with your first ball, but getting that of Steve Smith. And then, yeah, to follow it up in in that second innings against all the odds when he wasn't even expecting to uh, to take the field, let alone uh, bowl, um, it was extraordinary. And his passion for Test cricket, speaking after the win, I mean, that seemed as good a promotion as you could ask for. Craig Brathway was sort of smiling as he heard his response. Are you hopeful this might inspire a younger generation off the back of that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, the passion for Test cricket exists here. I think um, just because of that unique success we had with the, the T20 guys in, in back-to-back wins uh, in 2012 and 2016, and, and obviously just all of them, you know, icons of the T20 sport and the likes of Chris Gale and Dwayne Bravo and Kyron Pollard and Andre Russell, I think you know, everyone just assumed around the world that the West Indies were just going to play T20 cricket. But, um, you know, I joined in 2017 and have, have have been pleasantly surprised by the fact that you know red ball cricket like it is in most parts of the world is is seen as the the greatest of the three formats the ultimate test of of skill and um you know of of, of mental strength and um yeah no so it's uh, i think it's hopefully an opportunity for everyone to see that west indies you know take test cricket and four day cricket um, very very seriously You've spoken in the past about the business of uh, world cricket and the, the business model in which exists, the, the revenue share model. Can you explain to us and our listeners the impact it has on some of the smaller countries outside of Australia, England and India as to how the West Indies are able to make their money and be competitive? Yeah, I've spoken about it a lot, just I guess because I spent so long working in English cricket and then now seven years here, I've seen sort of um, both models up, up, up close, I guess. And in, in the Caribbean with 15 very small countries um, spread from South America, Guyana, all the way through to Jamaica. 
um, you know, it's really stark because we don't have like uh, the bigger countries uh, a host broadcaster. So we we have to produce our own cricket, um, which is everyone sees now as multiple cameras, DRS and everything that comes with it. We have to move that on charter flights all around the different islands and countries. Um, and that probably costs us in the region of five million US dollars a year. And, and the TV market here is so small. Uh, and and um, therefore, we, we start really on a on a deficit position in terms of our media rights in the Caribbean versus our production costs. Uh, most of the other countries around the world have a host broadcaster who not just cover those TV production costs, but they also pay them a, a sizable rights fee. So um, that's one of the biggest sort of differences with the West Indies model, which isn't likely to change uh, anytime soon because we're, you know, we're just 6 million people um, spread across 15 countries. But um, yeah, it's, it's the, I guess, even more stark when, uh, the model of bilateral cricket is such that when you host teams, you keep all the revenues, and when you go away from home, you cover your uh, your match fees and your uh, your airfares, um, but you don't get any any income whatsoever. So, depending on how your tours fall and and whether you're on the road for a while or playing at home, and who you're playing at home makes a massive difference to whether you're generating surpluses to go back into your pyramid to support your your school's cricket and your facilities and and your first class system and your women's cricket and everything else or or whether you're um you know you're 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 making big losses so it's it's um it's difficult for the teams um that don't have those big broadcast markets and and obviously it's sort of exaggerated a bit with the ICC model which which also in terms of the distribution of their profits um also favors the uh, the bigger countries so it's sort of a double whammy effect really and um yeah it makes it pretty tough um, to, to be consistently competitive. Johnny Grave is the CEO of West Indies Cricket. He joins you on Summer Grandstand. So I was a bit surprised when I read that. You just had your men's side featuring two tests in Australia. Uh, we've had one one-day international. There's two to go and three T20s. The West Indies women's side was out before Christmas. So the visiting countries don't really receive a fee when they're out competing. No, not at all. So, yeah, we, we're probably um, looking at a, a cost of about $3 million in business class flights of, of all those teams um, down to Australia, uh, along with all the match fees that are our responsibility and, yeah, not not a dollar back in revenue. So it, it does make it very challenging. We've, we've been very fortunate that England and, Aus- England and India have toured here um, back in 2022 and, and more recently last year as well. So um, there's not too much more that we could ask for for some of the, you know, the countries in terms of their uh, willingness to come over to the Caribbean. But obviously we're now staring down um, probably at least four years where India won't come back. Um, and, uh, yeah, the next, I guess, two two years in 2025 and 26 will be very, very challenging. But, you know, luckily we've completely restructured the business of cricket here and um, we'll be going into those two fallow years with no England and India tours with, with a big surplus that will hopefully be boosted even further by the um, the hosting of the, um, the Men's T20 World Cup here in the Caribbean in, in June. So how challenging is that, thinking back to the last time Australia travelled to the, the Caribbean, and it's a pretty packed schedule at the moment, not to mention the IPL and some of the other domestic T20 competitions that are taking place around the world. So it must be pretty hard to try and make your case as to why touring parties should be heading over to the, the Caribbean, especially in such a packed landscape. Well, yeah, I think um, you know we welcome the introduction of the World Test Championship. Um, we hope that that would also lead to sort of change in the economic model uh, more like uh, how other sports teams would participate in a league where you would pull revenues and share revenues and uh, ensure that everyone was competitive because ultimately we believe that if you've got two well-prepared sides that as uh, evenly matched as possible on the field, you're going to create the uh, 
you know, the most amazing uh, cricket uh, for everyone to watch. And that, you know, that uncertainty um, and competitive balance, we think is a really important part of, of the long-term future of our sport. So it's something that we'll continue to, to speak up about. We don't expect it to change and we're certainly not feeling sorry for ourselves and we'll continue to, to fight hard and, and invest in our cricket system as much as we can. And a bit like hosting the World Cup, try and grow the sport in, in our time zone in the, in the US and Canada in particular. Um, but yeah, it's certainly, um, we certainly feel that um, a bit more of a, uh, a rebalance of the um, of the monies in in cricket would would ensure that you know all three formats could um, not just survive but actually thrive, which um, yeah is, is why we feel sort of so strongly about it. I guess. So, just out of interest, in comparison, how does the the business model in the county cricket exist with Surrey, where you're previously involved? Yeah, Surrey, it's um, well, you're only five five ten minutes um, from the city of London. So, um, and now with the facilities they've got there, I think they make more money now from conferencing and events than they do from cricket so um yeah yeah look it's a it's a very different model um what i would say is the best cricket club in the world um but um it's uh it, it's certainly one where you know the sky sports a bit like fox and seven in, in australia you know they 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 not just produce fantastic cricket through um, their coverage but they also pay a, a big chunky rights fee that allows the ecb or cricket australia to fund all cricket of all, all levels across uh, both genders and um yeah obviously that that's a huge advantage um and clearly when we go to england which we're going to the summer you know there'll be hundreds of millions again generated from that tour and, and whilst they are coming back to to the caribbean in november probably the revenues that um that we can generate and therefore what we keep will be about a tenth of of that and you know you don't need me to tell you that moving a west indies team between London, Birmingham and Nottingham is not going to cost as much as private chartering them on, on planes between uh, Barbados, Antigua and Trinidad. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And in terms of the West Indies having missed out on the recent men's 50-over World Cup, obviously losing to, to Scotland in the, the qualifying, how, how much of a reality shock was that in terms of the position in which your, your white ball team finds itself in in the 50-overs? Yeah, look, I think we were disappointed to get into the qualifiers. Uh, we played a lot of cricket under COVID, um, again, trying to do the right thing. Um, and um, and ensure that everyone got some cricket uh, during that that very very difficult time. And um, yeah, we found ourselves just in in those qualifiers, and we knew from being in them in 2018 that it was you know uh, when the pressure's on, um, you know it, cricket suddenly becomes a very different sport. And yeah, we got the wrong side of uh, a few results in Zimbabwe, but obviously, you know I think it doesn't take me to say that probably the 50 over format for West Indies for for many years has been our weakest um format but it's certainly something that we're looking to to reset and build under Darren Sammy's leadership as as we look ahead to 2027 which will be the next time we play in a world cup in that format um but yeah we're very confident in terms of we had a good run with T20 cricket um in the last 12 months we we beat South Africa in South Africa we beat India at home we beat England at home uh, and obviously, we'll be hoping to to carry that form into the three T20s um, coming up in Australia. But yeah, fifty over cricket has has been a struggle for us, which is, um, I guess, which is what what makes the the Test victory and um, and those recent T26 successes uh, all the more important for our overall morale. But um, we're certainly looking forward to um, the the T20 World Cup that we're hosting, and, and we're very very um, keen and focused on trying to win that third title. 
Johnny Grave, the CEO of West Indies Cricket, is with you on Summer Grandstand. It sort of makes these sort of three one-day internationals they're playing ahead of the T20 seem a, a bit interesting, obviously, at this time where there's so much sport taking place that the fight for meaning and, uh, and relevancy is always a, a constant challenge. But with the next uh, 50 over World Cup, not till 2027, was there much convincing that had to take place to play these three one-day internationals? No, we're pretty. We were committed to these a long time ago in the setting of the Future Tours program, and yeah, look, our, our philosophy with the Future Tours is to try and you know host everyone and play everyone as on as a fair and as equitable basis as we can. And uh, we made the commitment to CA, even though we were there uh, last year, uh, having not been there for so long, to be there twice in in two years is is um, you know one of the the issues, I guess, with the Future Tours program, the way it's constructed. But no, we're delighted to be playing you know, Australia uh, in 50 over cricket. Um, and there's a few new faces in the Australia team. There's a few new faces in our team and the great opportunity for those guys to, uh, you know, start to, to build an international career that hopefully, as I say, a number of them from our side will be um, in the World Cup come 2027. And we've seen with the... the... Um, dominance of domestic international tournaments that the likes of Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummins have been able to to forego millions from an Australian point of view to prioritise their their country cricket over the, the possibilities of money. For the West Indies, it's obviously a different challenge in terms of the money uh, which you can offer from a contract side of things. And, and then I guess you've got to take into consideration that the grassroots and the other programs that take place as well. Yeah, a bit like Cricket Australia and South Africa and a number of other boards, New Zealand, we have a collective bargaining agreement so 26 percent of our revenue is is ring fence for the players uh, and we smooth that over a four-year period um so um we can obviously take the the bigger years when england and india tour and, and smooth those over for the players so they can get pretty standard set fees throughout the period but i think there's a bit of a conception that we don't play our players very well but you know most of our international players will be earning between uh, our contracts and those of the caribbean premier league you know uh, with all their match fees and win bonuses and everything else, probably upwards of half a million US dollars. So it's it's, it's not to be sniffed at, but you're right, compared to uh, what an Australia player or Indian player um, or English player can earn, uh, it's sizable. But then we've also created, uh, since 2018, all of our players get a guaranteed full window of the IPL and, and a number of them have, have done very, very well there. So, um, yeah, look, it's a great time to be a player. It's probably never been a better time to be a player. And we announced last week that, our women's team will have pay parity in terms of match fees and prize money by 2027. So, um, you know, there's, there's, as I said earlier, it's just it's just a fantastic time to be a cricketer where there's huge opportunities all around the world for you to apply your trade. And, yeah, look, we, we'll keep selecting the best squads we can. And um, I'm sure people who don't follow our cricket and don't know about um, our players um, will say that we're, you know, that we're weakened and, and all this kind of stuff. But hopefully we'll have uh, some more moments like we did in, in the Gabba where some of our youngsters can um, can show the world what they can do and um, and turn a few heads. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the West Indies under-19 side is going pretty well in the, the World Cup taking place there with a couple of wins from their five matches. But uh, yeah, it's interesting just chatting to a lot of the, the Australian domestic players who feature in the big bash around the wrestle as to the right time of year to play it because it's over the, the Christmas period. A lot of the international players aren't available uh, we've had the fortune of working with someone like a, a Chris Green who's been able to come across and be a part of the, the CPL. And he speaks incredibly highly about the opportunity to come over to the Caribbean and, and play in that competition and the stand of cricket, which he's been able to be a part of. So what, what's the challenge from a domestic point of view to try and make sure you are trying to lure some of the international players to come and feature in that tournament as well? Yeah, look, Chris has been fantastic. Uh, you know, it doesn't take much to persuade international players to come and play in the CPL. It's, uh, 
it's a four-week tournament, so it's a, it's a reasonably short tournament compared to some. You know, it's played in the best part of the world. There's nowhere better for me, uh, in my mind, to watch or play cricket than the, the West Indies. And so for international players to come across normally with their cricket gear and golf clubs and uh, spend all morning on the beach or on the golf course and then go and hit sixes or take wickets under lights in, in what is, you know, 90% of our grounds will be absolutely um, jam-packed, sold out. And um, there's an unbelievable atmosphere for the CPL. Um, and it's, it's, you know, 11 years in now. Uh, we launched the women's one uh, last year, which is growing year on year. And, um, yeah, it's a product we're really proud of. And, yeah, one that, you know, the best players in the world, if they're available in September, um, yeah, always want to be, um, always want to be part of. Chris has told me the rum makes for a unique experience, that uh, the matches on field is good fun, but then it's a great atmosphere off field as well. Yeah, it certainly is. There's uh, lots of rum flowing. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we hope that, that that carnival sort of atmosphere that if, you, if people haven't experienced before is, is pretty unique in cricket, um, will be alive across the 55 matches of the World Cup uh, in, in the summer as well. So, um, yeah, look, it's, um, it's a great part of the world. I, I've really enjoyed my... Uh, seven years here and continue to do as, as I sort of alluded to earlier it's, it's an enormous challenge but you know, I, I very much feel that West Indies are everyone's second favourite team and I, I think probably again the last few weeks have, have gone some way to remind people of um, you know what a what a rich history the, the West Indies have and some of those iconic players that probably you know helped um, many people outside of the Caribbean to fall in love with this wonderful sport and um, long may that continue because um, yeah I certainly think um the way we're we're going, we're um, we're going to be continuing to invest in, in in our cricket system and and hopefully unearthing more and more talent that can uh, go out onto the world stage and um, and turn a few heads and and win some games of cricket and get West Indies back on uh, in the top echelons of the sport across all the formats. Johnny Grave is the CEO of West Indies Cricket. As we let you go, two One Day Internationals and three T20s to come. What are you hoping to see from this young West Indies side in the next upcoming series of matches? Yeah, I think for the T20s, uh, just some some standout performances over the next two and, and hopefully um, a couple of wins. And then, yeah, really looking forward to the T20s. These are sort of the last ones, really, that will um, be a factor around selecting that 15-man squad ahead of the World Cup. We're going to play a few warm-up games on the eve of the event against South Africa, but these are the last three T20s we're going to be playing before the squad selected. So um, a last opportunity for some of our guys to, to force their way into the team. and. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. It'd be, it'd be good having, as I said earlier, you know, beaten South Africa, India, and England in our last few series. It'd be it'd be great to add Australia to that and go into the World Cup Absolutely. full of confidence, playing at home in front of our home fans, and and as I said earlier, trying to lift that third title. Absolutely. I've never been to the Caribbean. It's on the bucket list. I'm just putting a shout out to all the bosses at the ABC if they're listening. Uh, obviously taking place in late 2024. Uh, Johnny Grave, as always, a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time and giving us a great insight into West Indies cricket. Absolute pleasure.